0: It was fine. We were talking about spiritual disciplines in general. But since we talked about the stepchild of spiritual disciplines, fasting, um, there is a similar one that I think is one of the most important spiritual disciplines we could put into practice. In fact, I think if you can get this one, the other ones will sort of come with it. Um, And we've looked at it before. We've done a whole series on the spiritual disciplines. And so I just want to revisit it. Uh, with you this evening. So Psalm chapter one, or not Psalm chapter one, Psalm one, they're not chapters. My seminary professors would kill me if they heard me say that. If you'll stand with me, we want to read, let's read the first three verses. Why not? Uh, Psalm one reads a lot like the Beatitudes. Uh, So it is uh, a a really good beginning of this book of worship. Um, The psalmist writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, excuse me, he prospers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Help us to, to, to put into practice the disciplines. As so we said this morning that it will take uh, intentional effort and discipline. And that takes time. That takes pattern. That takes habit. That takes investment. And so uh, uh, as we explore the spiritual disciplines, and there's a dozen more that we could explore. Let us not get frustrated with ourselves thinking that we should be already at the advanced stage. But it would be well if we just started at the infant stage. Um, but the main thing is that we are pursuing Christ in all that we are and all that we do. So Lord, open our entire being. Uh, as we open up your word, we may be transformed by the God we believe, the, S- the Redeemer who saves. And uh, and may we be more like Jesus in the end. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of name we pray. Amen. Um, although we could think of many, um, two um, great detriments our spiritual walk come immediately to mind. And those are busyness and distraction. Busyness and distraction. Uh, I've shared this before. Um, I remember very vividly the busiest semester of my life. Uh, and again, I've shared this, so, so this, this, you've already heard this. But uh, I remember I was so busy, I actually broke down in tears. I'm, I'm not an emotional guy. Uh, one of my many flaws, according to my wife. But uh, I, I really broke down. Um, it was the semester my wife got pregnant. Uh, we have joked since. Uh, she didn't find it funny then. That I don't know how she got pregnant. We never saw each other. We were newlyweds, of course, still in like our second year of of marriage, and um, I had two evenings off from work. I was a full-time student, and I was almost a full-time employee. When I say almost, I was working 30 to 35 hours a week. You know, one of those jobs um, where where you work the hours but not the benefits. And um, uh, in the middle of that semester, my boss got fired, which means those two afternoons were now taken. And my wife was in, was in a sort, similar sort of situation where she worked half the evenings and, and the other, uh, other half she worked in the mornings, which meant when I was off in the evening, she was working. When uh, she was off in the evening, I was working or, or in school. And so our paths just rarely cross. In fact, I remember there were many times when whoever was home we would cook and we'd wait till 10 o'clock at night to share a dinner. We'd eat really quick and go straight to bed um, and we just, just did the best we could just just to pay our, our bills and We were very poor. Um, But I I remember I was taking 16 hours at the master's level. To give you an idea, uh, nine hours at seminary is considered full-time. It's 12 to 15 at at your average college. It's nine hours seminary. I was doing almost double that. And the reason I was doing almost double that is five of those were two classes associated with a mission trip I was taking. We had to do all this research and other work for the unreached people group we were gonna go reach in Azure Africa, and I've talked about that trip a thousand times. And, and so I, I, was, I was taking advanced classes, so I had a elementary Hebrew class and a Greek syntax class. I had a philosophy class and other things, and, and so my, my workload at school was, was overwhelming, and then my workload at work became overwhelming. I was there the day that they uh, fired my manager, basically, and that meant that as a sales floor leader, I was going to have to take on new responsibilities. In fact, I was offered the assistant manager job to to relieve the efforts of the assistant manager who was now all by himself. By the way, he'd only been there on the job for about three months. He himself was overwhelmed, and a student at the school I went to as well. And somewhere in there, my wife got pregnant. And um, I remember uh, when she got pregnant, I, I realized I, this isn't going to work for us. I can't. I can't work in retail and provide for my family. We had already agreed even before we got buried that we wanted her to stay home, wanted her to be the primary influence on on our children, and, and she was excited about that. But it meant I had seven to nine months to figure this out. So I filled out a resume that I hadn't done in five years since I was a youth pastor. Even then it was kind of puny. And I had to figure all this out, and I had to do the interview at school, who was then going to send the resume out. I was making all the calls, doing all that. All the while fundraising for a mission trip over to Africa. So I was speaking at churches, I was sending out letters, I was doing all of these things, and I was working two jobs. So, so I had a full, full-time job, I had uh, more than full, uh, full-time at, at school, and then I was a youth pastor an hour and a half away. I would do um, uh, Hebrew going to church on Wednesday nights because my wife drove, and I would do Greek coming back because I had to have my laptop to do Greek. And so I had an hour and a half drive by which I could do that. When I got on that airplane to go over to Africa... I knew that every week uh, from here to the end of the semester, we went on spring break, I had at least a a 12 to 15, 16 page paper due every week. I took on that plane, we didn't have uh, digital books, e-books, anything like that at the time. I I took uh, one book for pleasure, it's a 13, 14 hour flight from DC to Morocco, Um, and the other books were all for class. The only pleasure I really had, a break I had from, from spring break, was that I didn't take any Hebrew vocabulary cards with me to Africa. That, that, that's how I, I splurged that week. No Hebrew vocab, which meant I forgot all my Hebrew vocab. But I remember when I, when I was about to go do that first interview at Southern, it just broke down. I was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Busyness is often in a, uh, used so that we can feel like we are important, and I'm guilty of that. The busyness often keeps us from pursuing more important things. We often think about how it affects our our marriages or our family, but it certainly affects our spiritual well-being. There's busyness and there's also distraction. You all know about my hearing loss, that that, uh, if there is a noise in the room, uh, you can be right across from me and I can't hear a word you're saying because of this noise over here. Uh, not too long ago, I was uh, eating dinner with, with, with my parents, and Mom was talking, and, and I remember specifically saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, because this guy had a squeaky shoe, and he was you know, twitching it, you know, you know how, how we do, I guess, like when we're nervous. And it was just squeak, 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 squeak. squeak. here's my mother talking about something that was important to her. Couldn't hear a word she was saying. We were two feet away. This guy was 10 or 15 feet away, and that's all I heard. Distraction is an easy thing, or that's a goofy example, but distractions keep us focused on lesser things. They keep us from, from really investing in the things that really matter. And I want to suggest to you that fasting, although is an unpopular di- a spiritual discipline for us Americans, the one that we really avoid the most, I think, is actually the discipline of meditation. Even whenever we say that, our stomachs churn thinking, please anything but that one. Because we don't really know what it is the Bible says about it. So let's look to see what the Bible has to say about it before we look at the specifics. You see it here in Psalm chapter 1. It says, blessed is the man who walks in the, not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the seat of scoffers, or uh, the seat of scoffers, or, the, or stand in the way of sinners. His delight is in the law of God. And notice this, he meditates on it day and day. And nine. Now, our goal is to understand what does it mean to meditate. We need to see that this isn't the only place we find this sort of exhortation. Take Joshua chapter 1, for example. This book of the law, here they are marching into the promised land, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We can look at Psalm 119. It's all over the place in the longest chapter of the Bible. By the way, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Verse uh, 23 and 48. Uh, Even though uh, princes sit plotting against me. Your servant will meditate on your statues. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statues. Notice there, not just the repetition, though it's very clear, That's for emphasis, but he says the priority is not the opinion or the actions of others. It is the truth of, of God's word. We look at verse 27, again, in the same, same Psalm, make me understand the way of your precepts. I will meditate on your wondrous works. It's interesting here. He's meditating not on God's word, but on God's works. Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. Notice here he says, I know more of my teachers. They're busy talking. I'm busy uh, meditating. I could give you a dozen others, but you you get the point. In fact, what we could do is to see how the discipline of meditation isn't just in precept, it's also in example. Let me give you a few models of this. Isaac, in Genesis 24, Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. He lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Now, notice here, he's going out to meditate, to pray, and everything else that we'll talk about. And while he's doing that, the Lord is moving the story along. The very thing he was asking for ends up happening, thus the reference to, to the camels. Uh, David does this in Psalm 63, 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. We'll get to this here in a minute, but this is perhaps the best time to meditate because most of us do meditate at night, usually not anything beneficial. What about the anonymous writer? Again, back to Psalm 119. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Finally, we can just go to Jesus. We get several examples of this from Jesus, but here's a good one, Matthew 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. To do what? Well, to get away from the crowd, to get away from all the temptations and everything else that was there. But he goes there to silence, solitude, and meditation. Well, if scripture is clear about this discipline, then why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Well, one of the reasons is because, frankly, we don't know what it is. Think about it. You, you've not heard many discussions in the local church on this discipline. It's clearly laid out in Scripture. We'll talk a lot about reading your Bible and praying, reading your Bible and praying, read your Bible and praying. Do those things. And, and if you're paying attention in the morning, we can say, read your Bible, pray, and fast. And if you've been paying attention, you can say, read your Bible, pray, fast, and be generous. alms Almsgiving. Right, we can come up with this. We could add that to worship. Come, come to church and be with the people of God. Fellowship. We could add all of these. But then the, the, there's a big one we miss. We just don't talk about them, particularly as Baptists, but as American evangelicals in particular. Well, to understand what it is, let's start by describing what it is not. I find this a helpful approach to an understanding of this issue. The first thing it is not: it is not Eastern mysticism, or what we could call Western Oprahism. It's all good to get a lot of candles in Coca-Cola theme song because we're all getting along. This, this inward mysticism that you get so much uh, that Oprah has made popular, though much of it has entered into uh, Western culture. It's actually quite shocking to discover. I've told this story before. When I worked at, at the store in Louisville, it was a Christian bookstore, uh, a, a lady came in uh, who clearly had never been in our store, and, and um, she goes, do you sell um, tarot cards? That's the term, Tarot cards. I don't know what she's talking about. I'm like 20 years old. I don't know what she's talking about. You know, I, I just want to get married uh, and live a happy life. I don't, I don't know what this stuff is. And I go, well, ma'am, I, I don't know if we got tarot cards. We got little pass it on cards. These were little 15 cent cards, you know, it has a, has a little memory verse on it and you can pass them around to encourage people for like 15 cents. And I showed them to her. She goes, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, what, where the store was, right across the street, was a uh, new age mysticism sort of store where you could buy spells and potions and all that sort of stuff. She clearly made a wrong turn. This is before smartphones, so so she she, she was in, in the wrong place. Well Eastern mysticism is all about emptying the self. So when you go into meditate in Eastern mysticism, you go down to your basement, you cross your legs, and you hum all in an effort to escape reality. You've got to empty yourself. Oprah uh, pretty much says the same thing. So if you want to enjoy the universe, whatever that may mean, you have to escape the self. That, that, that's sort of Gnostic sort of idea. But in Christianity, uh, we, we want to argue the opposite. Uh, for, for, for Eastern mysticism um, um, that, that uh, you have to escape this physical world and meditation allows you to do that. We actually suggest otherwise. We're not trying to empty ourselves. We're wanting to fill ourselves. We're not trying to escape the world because we, we believe the cosmos and all that is is good though flawed because it's given to us by God in creation and then through his incarnation, Christ became one of us. So we don't is, is seek to escape uh, 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 oneself but rather we are trying to um, uh, fill ourselves with the truth of scripture. And the second thing we need to see here is that meditation is not subjective, it is objective. What do we mean by this? It is not focusing on our feelings, intuitions, exercise, detachment, manipulation, or our breathing techniques to see what it is we can get from the universe. That's more Eastern mysticism, that the focus is, is, is on our inward feelings. Again, notice what you're doing here is, is you're going deep down in order to escape. That, that's not what we're doing. What we want to do is actually to, 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 to think rightly about the world world god's world and, and and so um often what we do with the western flavor of eastern mysticism is we make meditation all about what a wonderful person i am you go get them guy we think so much about our feelings because we think too much about ourselves that is not what it is that we are describing meditation is not about focusing on me it's about focusing on the triune god so what is it then a couple points to make here. First of all, it is silence and solitude, two very dirty words in our culture. Many of you all know my love for C.S. Lewis. Lewis, had, had, uh, he was a prominent professor uh, and was a World War I veteran, by the way. He was a prominent professor at Oxford, and then the war came, the Second Great War, and he was asked to do a series of talks on BBC Radio in the early 1940s. Those talks became what we now call the book Mere Christianity. It was originally three books, uh, and then they compiled those books, and we now call it Mirror Christianity. Highly recommend uh, that, that book to you. Well, they, they went so well, he was asked to do another radio series. And this would make him even more famous, make him even more money, but he refused. He refused for two reasons. One, he liked to write uh, uh, books rather than speak on the radio. Some people like talking more than writing. Some like to write more than they talk. And Lewis was more an introverted guy who preferred to write. But the main reason he didn't want to do it is because he thought radio was trivial. Oh, how I'd love to introduce him to social media and 24-hour news. Right? <laughs> what would he say then? Um, in his book, Screwtape Letters, which you remember is uh, uh, uncle, an uncle demon writing to his nephew demon about how to tempt a Christian so, so, so this is, this is you know, how the, to tempt a believer. Uh, uh, this is from Screwtape Letters. No square inch, uh, Wormwood writes, of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of these abominable forces, but all has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and viral. Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We've already made great strides in this direction as regards to the earth. The melodies and the silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. And I admit we are not yet loud enough or anything like it. Research is still in progress. Boy, they did their research. Then came the television. And then came the internet. And then came social media. And then came your cell phones noise 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 to lewis music and silence were good noise on the other hand was a source of real evil lewis was worried worried about radio noise and now that we have tablets cell phones digital music talk radio social media and everything we can really get a sense of this i am guilty of this if i were to go into my bedroom right now to put on a pair of socks how long does that take 10 seconds if you got clean socks in, 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 in your drawer, 10 seconds, unfold them, boom, boom, your feet are warm now. I will try to start a song. I will try to return to where I left off my podcast. I will hum a tune uh, out loud. I will, I will see to it there's noise going, I'm terrible with this. If, if, if I'm in my office, you come in, there's a, there's a very good chance you will hear something coming from a speaker. I am as guilty of this as anyone, if not far worse. We need to see here that silence is a form of worship in Scripture. If you want an example, there's Revelation chapter 8, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal. Remember, the seventh seal opens up or the trumpets. The seventh trumpet opens up the bowls. So, so this is an act of judgment, which opens up a series of judgments. There was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Now, why is there silence? We remember, it all, it's, it's music, it's melody, it's worship, and all of a sudden, it's silence. Silence. Can we just meditate on the idea of, of silence for a minute? What keeps many of us from growing spiritually is that we refuse to stop talking. Americans are cursed with the disease that says our opinion matters. What if we stopped talking and stopped arguing and simply started to listen? Is it possible that God has something to say that you and I need to hear? But we cannot hear him if we are busy talking. We are terrible at this. If we just have noise and noise and noise and noise. And I'm looking at myself. Often I use noise as a, and spiritualize it. Well, of, of, of course I read my Bible. I listened to three podcasts today. They talked about Jesus. Let's think about solitude for a minute. Silence and solitude. Let's think about the solitude. How many Americans right now, right now, could sit alone in a dark room, no noise, nothing, for five minutes? How many could do that? Very, very, very few. Very few. In fact, it is the fear of being in a dark room all alone that draws us to turn on the noise average American cannot sit alone with their own thoughts. So we overuse our phones, and we have music, podcasts, books, whatever it is, because we are uncomfortable with our own thoughts. I think that's worth thinking about a little bit, don't you? What does that say about us? This keeps us away from spiritual growth. Perhaps more than anything, most of us couldn't do it for for five minutes. The reason is because we start to sink inwardly. We start to meditate on everything instead of one thing. And we're not actually being blessed through the practice. We're being cursed through it. The average person in America right now, we shy away from this because we know what would happen if we tried it. And this leads uh, to to the second thing, and that is uh, meditation is for the purpose of godliness. Meditation leads us to repentance and obedience. When we encounter the living God, we are transformed. The ultimate goal of the disciplines is twofold. One, greater communion with God, yes, and also the growing godliness. If we are growing in communion with God, we become more like him. Proper meditation draws us to love Jesus and to hate our sins. While we meditate on scripture, meditate on the gospel. In Eastern mysticism, the goal of meditation is to become one with the universe, whatever that means. But in Christianity, the goal is to conform to the image of the sun. Which, when we, when we are in that room all by ourselves, alone with our thoughts, we start to realize we ain't. And that comes the anxiety, that comes the worry, that comes the fears, those comes the doubts. All those things we've been trying to push out with noise, now we don't know how to handle. That leads to the, to the third thing, that, and meditation is natural. You do it on a regular basis. You are already practicing meditation. How many sleepless nights have you and I had caused by our inability to meditate on things worth meditating on? There's a good chance tonight. I will go to bed, I will be knocked out tired. Sundays drain me. I'm wired when I get home on Sunday evening, and I can't sleep, and then when I do sleep, I am a deep sleep until about three o'clock in the morning. Ever next, 90 minutes to two hours. There I am. can't sleep. You want to know what happens? I I don't want to make any noise. My, my beautiful bride's right next to me. And, and I start thinking about the day. Start thinking about the next day. Start thinking about the next week, the next month bills to pay, anxieties I have, worries about the past, present, and future, the wife, the kids, the in-laws, or, or the outlaws, as we like to call them. I like thinking about work and play and bills and the in-laws. Again, uh, I, th- I think about the challenges, uncertainties. Where are we are going to be in 10 years? Or I should have done that 10 years ago. And, and you just replay things over and over and over and over and over and over again. You are already meditating, already meditating. Is it benefiting you? No. It actually seems to be having quite the opposite. Worldly meditation will bring more misery than brokenness than anything. Gospel meditation will spur healing, spiritual growth, and joy. Which do you think is more beneficial to your soul? Focusing on Christ or focusing on your boss? Focusing on grace or focusing on your failures? I was having this conversation with someone recently where they were struggling with a lot of doubts, lack of assurance, things like this. I'm like, I can tell you what your problem is your your problem is meditation. Because you're meditating on the things. Uh, of, of, of of this world, the things of your failures, the things of your sins, rather than seeing that Christ has already triumphed over them and meditating on that, you have succumbed to the spiritual anxiety that, that you, you, you convince yourself that there's no hope for me. I'm outside of grace. I'm not really saved. I'm a terrible person. I must run away. Do I really believe this? This is nothing. If people really knew who I was and it just becomes a cycle of, 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 of just, just, of just ruining your soul. And, and, and all, all the while, there's, there's Jesus saying, you know, I took care of all that. I took care of all of it. So why are you worrying about things that aren't true? The greatest weapon the devil has against you is accusation. The problem comes when we replay those accusations in our head. If you were to go to, to, to uh, Wartburg Castle in Germany... It's an old castle that when Martin Luther uh, translated the Bible into uh, German, Germany, which was a capital offense, by the way, um, he, he, he went through a, a lot of spiritual warfare. And you can go on the wall of the Wartburg Castle, uh, there is an inkblot state where he, because of he, what he felt like, was um, how come after a thousand years no one said anything that you are now saying? What makes you think you're right, Martin Luther? You're going to stand against a thousand years' tradition of the Catholic Church? who do you think you are? You're a nobody. And it, and that kept replaying those accusations so eventually he took the ink block he was using to translate the bible and he threw it at the wall things thrown at the devil. But we do the same thing, maybe not with ink block. We still listen to the fangs of of accusation. Well, how do we then do this? How, how do we do it? Let, let me let's get real practical one. Uh, we need to meditate on scripture. This is the dominant theme that we read in, in all the passages we looked at before, Joshua 1, Psalm 1, and others. Um, many people have the problem that they read the Bible, but they don't meditate upon it. Can I just encourage you? It would be better if you didn't make it out of a single verse, but you chewed upon it and enjoyed it, rather than if you read an entire book and got nothing from it. I'm guilty of this, I love reading more than anything. There are some books I, I devour and some books I, what I call seminary read. You'd read enough to pass the quiz, you know what I'm saying? And those books I seminary re- read never stick with me. It could be a fictional book, could be a non-fictional book. I, I've done this before where, because I'm, I'm easily distracted, my mind never stops. I could read, read a fictional book and someone would say, what's the book about? And I'll give the general plot line you can get from the back of the book. Uh, it was a murder mystery, someone died and they solved it. Well, I, I could have figured that one out by the title. You know, but all the ins and outs. But if I were to really devour a book and take my time with it, now you, you, you just you you just really are benefited from that. What if you spent the next week on the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1? Ruins your Bible reading plan for the year, doesn't it? You'll get more from that than if you were, were just trying to say that you did it. And I'm guilty of that. Let me give you three passages that you can meditate upon. I meant to put them on screen. I don't think I did, No. Um, Ephesians 1, 1 to 14 Is my favorite I do that in counseling all the time Another is Psalm 145 And a third is Revelation 5 We've looked at all these uh, before Years ago We actually walked slowly through Ephesians 1 I think that is so beneficial In fact, I would encourage you to take Ephesians 1 With a pad of paper and write down things like If what Paul is saying is true This is true for me I am adopted, I am sealed I am So on and so forth Secondly, meditate on the gospel. Um, think about what the gospel is and who you are in Jesus. Confess your sin in prayer all while rejoicing in the God of your salvation. Contemplate the depth of God's love for a sinner like you. Again, we, we can go back to this. is You and I have a tendency to meditate on our failures. I'll never get that promotion. I'll never overcome this temptation. I'll never defeat this sin. If people really knew who I was... I can't believe I, 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 I use that tone. I know better. Why can't I ever defeat this? We just meditate on our failures all the time. And Satan wants you to meditate on your sin and failures and brokenness and, and wickedness. He wants you to do that. But all we have to do is remind ourselves who we are in Jesus washed in his blood. And when we meditate on that, let the devil accuse uh, and, and, and resting in the saving grace of Jesus, we get to laugh back at him. I encourage you, Zechariah 3 is where the devil is accusing Israel, Joshua the high priest. You remember what Jesus does? Is He, he removes his clothes full of excrement and gives him white clothes. He says, I have, I have washed you. I have cleaned you. I have, I have uh, clothed you in righteousness. Everything he is saying has been taken care of. Let us just scoff at all that he may say to us. Meditate on the truth of the gospel. May I encourage you that unless you have a deep fundamental understanding of the gospel, you will never conquer sin in your life. You will never grow spiritually. When I say the gospel, I don't just mean uh, uh, repent and believe in that Jesus raised from the dead. I mean grow deep in the gospel. Devour the gospel be centered on the gospel. Will do more for your soul more than anything. Thirdly, meditate on uh, the attributes of God and the person of Christ. His attributes include God's sovereignty. He's, he's the king over the universe. Providence is he's God in history all to his glory. His immutability, that is God doesn't change. Uh, that's, that's We've talked about that before. God's grace, his love, his righteousness, his holiness, his simplicity, that he's not parts. He's not a little bit of love, a little bit of holy, but he isn't fully that. Person of Christ, He is God in human flesh. He's human like I am. He's divine and our mediator. He's, he's my comforter, my redeemer, my savior. He's, he's all of this. What if you just spent tonight reflecting on the fact that Jesus Christ is your redeemer? Sure beats worrying about that meeting you've got first thing in the morning tomorrow, doesn't it? You've already spent the whole weekend worried about that. Well, let us finally utilize prayer. Just as prayer and fasting are always associated with each other in in Scripture, so too we need to combine meditation with prayer. Uh, Because what prayer becomes then is a reflection of our meditations. Go back to what we said to the Lord's Prayer about adoration. If I meditate on the truth of Scripture and I am hidden in Christ, washed of all my sins, how can we not respond with adoration and praise through prayer? Wouldn't that be encouraging to do that tonight? First thing in the morning? You're stuck in Ephesians 1, verse 6. you just pause and think, Lord, if this is good. This is true. Help me to believe it. Help me to practice it. Help me not uh, shake from it. And thank you for giving me this word. That's a lot better option than Twitter. A lot better option than spying on that old high school friend from 40 years ago. A lot better practice, wouldn't you say? Besides, what is it you're going to get on CNN right now that's worth your time? when you have the eternal Son of God who is worthy of our attention, or we can choose busyness, distraction, and noise. Well, I want to read to you one of my favorite books on the spiritual disciplines by a professor at Southern named Don Whitney. Uh, he uses this uh, illustration of a fire, and I just want to read it to you. We'll, we'll be done for the day. Besides a bellows on a fire, meditation can also be compared to lingering by a fire. Imagine that you've been outside on an icy day and then come inside where there is a hot, crackling fire in the fireplace. As you walk toward it, you are very cold. You stretch out your hands to the fire and rub them together briskly during the two seconds it takes to walk past the glow and the warmth. When you reach the other side of the room, you realize, I'm still cold. Is there something wrong with you? Are you just a second glass warmer upper? No. The problem isn't you, it's your method. You didn't stay by the fire. If you want to get warm, you have to linger by the fire until it warms your skin, then your muscles, then your bones until you're fully warm. Meditation is us sitting by the fire. It is us allowing the truth of the gospel to warm us in an otherwise dark and cold world. Don't neglect it in your pursuit Growing in communion and intimacy with your Savior. Well, let us pray. Father, I ask that you would be so kind as to uh, help us to.